praise. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God, we praise you and we magnify you tonight. Praise God. It is always an honor and a privilege to be in the house of God. I'm going to say that one more time. It is always an honor and a privilege to be in the house of God. Everybody don't have this privilege. But thanks be to God that we do. We do have that freedom to come and worship his name. As you're standing, I want you to turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, starting in verse number 1. We'll read down through verse number 4. While you're finding that, I want to give honor to my pastor. I appreciate him for allowing me this opportunity to teach to you tonight or preach to you or treat or however it ends up, but I'm just going to obey God. But I want to honor you as well, my church family. I do love each and every one of you, and I appreciate each and every one of y'all as well. Deuteronomy, the 20th chapter, starting in verse number 1. When thou goest out to battle against thine enemies, and seest horses and chariots and a people more than thou, be not afraid of them, for the Lord thy God is with thee, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And it shall be when ye are come nigh unto the battle that the priest shall approach and speak unto the people and shall say unto them, Hear, O Israel, ye approach this day unto battle against your enemies. Let not your hearts faint, fear not, and do not tremble, neither be ye terrified because of them. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. The English Standard Version puts verse 4 like this. For the Lord your God is he who goes with you to fight for you against your enemies to give you the victory. I want to teach to you or, as I said before, preach, treach, maybe a little all of it on a title of Victorious Life victorious life. You may be seated tonight. I came on assignment from the Lord. There are several ways that I know that I'm in the perfect will of God when I get up to teach or preach or however it is because I seek God for every time before I get up here. I take this serious. This is a serious place. I'm, I'm not speaking to you just out of abundance of, of knowledge, I can assure you that, but I am coming to you because I am directed of God. One of the ways that I can tell that I am in the complete will of God is about two or three days prior to me getting up and speaking, I will literally fight what I'm fixing to preach. I fight against those things, and that lets me know that I'm in the perfect will of God when I get up here. But I come on assignment today to expose the enemy. I've come to expose him, and you're sitting there saying, some of you, and I can feel it in my spirit, you're going to stir him up. I don't care. 
He's already stirred up. You know what? And the church better get stirred up. It's a fight. It's a battle. It's not for the faint at heart. And it's time we get some Holy Ghost boldness in the church. I'm not preaching to you. If I had a mirror right here, I'd be preaching to myself. All right? I had an old elder that mentored me years ago. And he literally brought a mirror to the pulpit. And the entire time he sat there and preached to that mirror, he said, y'all can just listen. I'm going to preach to myself. Well, this is kind of where we're at. But we are in a spiritual battle, and it's, it's important for each of us to understand the tactics of the enemy. And we need to know the tactics of the enemy so we can be prepared and not led astray. And we must not be naive about those tactics that he likes to use because the enemy is very real. Peter said in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be self-controlled, clear-headed. That's what that means. And be vigilant, be on guard, keep, keep watch because your adversary, the devil, you do have an adversary and he does have a name. He, he is as a roaring lion. I want you to understand it says he is as a roaring lion. He's not a roaring lion, but the Bible says that he's as a roaring lion. We all know who the true lion is, and that's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And, 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 and he's just putting on a facade. He's not really the lion, but he wants you to think that he is. And he's walking about seeking whom he's going to devour. And if you don't believe that that's true, maybe... It do us good to to talk to Job for a little while. Well, therefore, we need to stay alert and we need to keep an eye out for his tactics so that he don't mislead us or distract us or hinder us from, from the things of God that are placed in our lives that we know we are on assignment to do. And what's because one of the goals, one of his biggest goals is to ensure that you and I do not become all that God wants us to be. That's his ultimate goal. He don't care if you read your Bible. He don't care if you even come to church. I'm going to go ahead and tell you the devil comes to church too. So those things don't bother him, but when you start to recognize some things and when you start to apply those things to your life, then when you get out to get ready to step out on some things and, and acknowledge some things and make things public in your life, then you've stirred him up. For years and years and years, and I, this is not me giving my testimony by any means, but I ran from the Lord for about 20-something years before I finally acknowledged it publicly. And as long as I was running, I knew what I was supposed to do, but and, and he wasn't bothered on that. But when I stepped out and publicly made it known that this is what I'm going to do, all hell have broke loose. But his purpose is to keep us from fulfilling our purpose. To keep you from your God-given destiny. And ultimately, Jesus said in John 10 and 10, the thief coming but to steal, kill, and destroy but Jesus counterattacked that. He said, I have come that you may have life and you may have it more abundantly. But all the enemy needs is just a foothold, just a, just a crack in the door. That's all he needs. And, and uh, 
One thing that we all do have is free will to choose between good and evil. And so the, the enemy tries to, to influence our free will with his deception and his, his lies. And uh, the eighth chapter of the book of John in 44, it says that he's a liar and he's the father of it. So we know he's a liar, but, but he's got many other tactics. It, it, it kind of goes like this. You're presented with a situation. At that time, you have a choice. It's time for you to make a choice. Now, many times we we hesitate, and in that hesitation, we'll let our minds wander. We'll go to weighing odds. We'll we'll go to you know speculating and and leaning upon our own understanding. Maybe I'm the only one in here that does has done that. I, you know, and and. So I once again I'm preaching to myself. Y'all just listen, and and so I start leaning upon my own understanding and try to figure things out. And, and and in those moments, you better be extremely cautious because we have the the tendency to to use our human reasoning to figure things out. And and, and a lot of times we'll we'll kind of be indecisive about it. We don't really want to make a choice. And, you know, sometimes we just say, well, I'm just not going to make a decision at all. And, and I've come to tell you, your indecisiveness in itself is a choice. You've choose not to say yes or not to say no. You're, you're splitting it right down the middle. And it's at that moment that our indecisiveness will, uh, that gives him the crack in the door. That's all he's need. That that's all he's looking for. And Ephesians chapter four and verse twenty seven says, "Neither give place to the devil." Now that word "place" comes from a Greek word "topos." Topos means location. It refers to a specific, marked off geographical location. It it carries the idea of a territory, a region, a a province or a zone, or, or maybe a geographical position. And it's, word, it's from that word topos that we get the word topographical map is where that comes from. And, and this, this lets us know right there that the devil is after every region and territory and zone in our lives. He's so territorial that he wants it all. Neither give place to the devil we've got to take a stand and we've got to tell the devil no you're not taking anything i think it would do us good to get a whole lot of holy ghost boldness no you're not taking my mind this is the battlefield this is the battlefield your mind you're not taking my mind you're not taking my house you're not taking my family you're you're not taking my children, my spouses. You, you can't have any of it. You, you can't have my peace. You can't have my joy. You can't. I, I think it would be good if we just, if we just stood up with some Holy Ghost boldness sometimes and, and tell the devil that, that, that you're not taking anything from me anymore. You've, you've taken all that you're going to take from me. And it would do us good to, to go on back to the enemy's camp and take back everything that he's took from us. You know, it really touched me 
last night when it got to talking about prodigals. Maybe it didn't. Maybe you don't have a prodigal. I've got some. I've got some. I've got three children of which one lives for God and he's back there teaching Sunday school right now. I've got two that are backslid. They've all three had the Holy Ghost. Matter of fact, they all three got the Holy Ghost within a two-week span of time. They know truth. They were raised in truth. But yet, for whatever reason, tactics of the enemy has taken them and pulled them backwards. And, and when he got to talking about those prodigals, that touched me hard and it touched me deep. They're coming back. And I'm going to go as far as to say this. Two of my children don't live right here. They don't have to come here. I just want them to pray back through and get right and live right. This same Holy Ghost that's in this church is the same Holy Ghost in them Pentecostal churches up there where they at. We have got to keep our mind focused on the things of God. Uh, Isaiah 26 and 3 says, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. Focused mind. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 through 5, it says, Though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations. Those are thoughts and arguments and and reasoning, when casting those down, and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and, and bringing into captivity, we need to take captive and take prisoner every thought to the obedience of Christ. We can achieve this through the power of the Holy Ghost and a prayer life. Church, we've got to have a prayer life. Not just 20 or 30 minutes in there twice a week and that's good enough. We've got to have a prayer life. We've got to have an altar no matter where you're at, whether you're at your house or on your job or driving down the road. I've had some of the best prayer meetings while I was driving down the road and there's been times where the Holy Ghost would just fill that vehicle and, and I'd have to pull over and it, 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 the people probably thought I'd lost my mind, but I don't care. But I'm going to tell you something else, church. You better know your word. You better know your word, and I'm going to explain to you why. If you don't think the enemy knows the word, you are badly mistaken. You are badly mistaken. If you'll look in the fourth chapter, and I'm going to prove it to you, fourth chapter the book of Matthew is when Jesus was led up in the spirit to the wilderness to be tempted of the devil and when three times Jesus said it is written but I want you to notice call it homework if you will you can check me I, I, I hope you do check me 
But in verse 6 of that fourth chapter, it says, And saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written. Now this is the devil talking. He said, It is written, and this is where it starts. He shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. He didn't come up with that on his own, church. That is almost, because he likes to take and twist and add to and take away, but that is almost a direct quote from Psalms 91, verse 11 and 12. Just about a direct quote, except he took a little stuff out, left a little stuff out. So if he can just take just a few words out, it changes the meaning, it changes the whole context of that scripture and this is why you better know your scripture because he knows scripture. If you don't know your scripture, you'll be deceived. And Some of you are thinking, well, you know, you're teaching us on a victorious life, so why are we talking so much about the enemy? Well, I'm going to explain that to you. I'm glad you asked. We have got to put together a battle plan so the adversary will not outsmart us. And we do this by becoming familiar with his evil tactics. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 says, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We shouldn't be ignorant. And we'll quote our pastor here some time back. He preached on it. As a matter of fact, his title was Don't Be Ignorant. Church, we can't be ignorant. But this right here is what the military calls intelligence. Military intelligence refers to the collection, the analysis, and distribution of information relevant to military operations. Every nation on the earth utilizes intelligence to make itself more secure and prepared for battle. Every one of them. It's hard to fight against something that you don't recognize. I'm going to go ahead and explain something to you. There's a difference in attacks and just pure, simple old life. Everything that comes against you is not a spiritual attack. There are some things that are just life. Life does happen. Anything man-made that tears up, that's life. That's not the enemy. I, I, let me put it to you plainly. If your washing machine tore up and it's 25 years old, the devil's not attacking you. Your washing machine is wore out. Okay, that's just life. That's just plain and simple. But on the same regard, there are spiritual attacks. And you need to be able to recognize those spiritual attacks. And God has given us all the intelligence we need to keep the enemy under our feet. Psalms 144.1, David said, Blessed be the Lord my strength, which teacheth my hands to war and my fingers to fight. He will reveal the enemy's strategies. I'm going to tell you what I did years ago because I wanted to be able to, to be sensitive enough and, and to be able to recognize 
and decipher between spiritual attacks and just pure simple old life. Sometimes it's hard to decipher. So I prayed a prayer years and years ago. Lord, let me be able to recognize when the enemy is attacking me. Because I can't fight what I don't know what's going on. Now, years ago, before I got the Holy Ghost, and we won't talk much about that right now, but, you know, we used to fight other ways. But that don't work no more. These are spiritual battles. You have to fight them with spiritual warfare. But there was an old book. It still is an old book. It was called The Art of War. It's an old Chinese book on military strategies. And the author's name was Sun Tzu. He made a quote, and he said, He who exercises no forethought but makes light of his opponents is sure to be captured by them. We should all know that that the enemy has been defeated. Every one of us in here should know that. And, and we know that Jesus Christ has already won the victory. But what I need for you to understand is that the victory is not a one-time experience. It's not a two-time experience. Victory should be a way of life for us. Despite what's going on, it should be a way of life. But what it is not is a life without problems. But for every problem, there is a promise. But even though we know that the enemy has been defeated and that he can't defeat you, he'll still use tactics against us. I want to give you five different things, and this is by no, no means a complete list. But these are five things that stuck out to me. All right, These are five things that, that I've faced. I'm going to be real transparent. I'm, I'm always pretty transparent. Number one, discouragement. I don't think it's a person in this place hadn't been discouraged at some point in time. Maybe it is. More power to you if, if, if you're one of those. But discouragement will cause people of God to quit on something that God told them to do. It'll, it'll make you lose hope and it'll, it'll make you spiritually tired. In some cases, it'll lead you to compromise. There's a lot of times that, that those setbacks, those delays, I, I don't know about you, but I don't do very well in delays. I'm just being transparent. But there's many times in those delays and those difficulties that happen in life, they'll lead you to discouragement. And there's many times in that, in that waiting, that's, that's those delays that I'm telling you about that, you know, because it, it didn't happen when 
when I thought that it should and in the time frame that I thought it should have happened. And you need to be careful of what you're focusing on. Because when you take the focus off of God and you put it on things of the world, discouragement is quickly coming. Colossians 3 and 2 says, Set your affection on things above and not on things of the earth. Discouragement can also be caused by the words of others. Now I'm going to hit some tough spots here. Proverbs 18 and 21, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. James talked about it as an unruly member. Whoever came up with that little old saying that we said years ago, even when we were kids, you know, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, had to be the biggest idiot that I have ever heard of in my life. Because I can assure you I have seen far more people killed and destroyed by tongue than I ever have any weapons. Now I wish that I could stand here and tell you that I've mastered that, but I would be lying to you. I'm a work in progress. But I'm going to tell you this. Discouragement other than, than the one type I'm fixing to tell you about. Because there's two types of discouragement, I believe. There's, there's the one type that comes from natural circumstances. Just, you know, life, hardships, whether it be, you know, attacks or failures or things of the natural. But there is also a spirit of discouragement. Let me try to explain to you the best I can as, as the difference in the two. As I said, the first one comes about by natural circumstances. But have you ever been walking through life, spirit-filled believer, and there really be nothing going on at that time, and all of a sudden you get that just that overwhelming discouragement? That's a spirit of discouragement. There is a difference. That, that first one that we talked about through natural circumstances, you can, you can a lot of times mentally are putting things into perspective or talking with somebody that you can trust. And I'm not going to dwell on this, but it better be sometimes somebody that you can trust because everybody don't hold your confidentiality like everybody else. And some folks, as quick as you tell them, everybody and their grandma knows 20 minutes later. So find somebody that you can trust and somebody that you can talk to because everybody needs somebody that they can do that with. But the second one, you, you can't overcome it that way. You can't fight those in the natural. This is going to take spiritual warfare for that spirit of discouragement. Second Corinthians 10 and 4, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We fight this spirit of discouragement through spiritual warfare. There's many times that that discouragement will lead to this second tactic. 
and I'm trying to hurry because I got limited time and I got four more to tell you. But many times discouragement will lead into complacency. That's the second one. Now this is a great danger. It's not be confused with contentment. They're two different things. Contentment in Jesus is to be sought after. Philippians 4 and 11 says, Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state that I am therewith to be content. Complacency is, is, is far different than that. Complacent attitude is a trick from the enemy designed to keep us from growing and maturing in Christ. It, 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 is, it is exactly the opposite enemy of spiritual growth. And complacency will develop into a spiritual a spiritual laziness and it'll create a false sense of security. The definition of complacency is the feeling of being satisfied with how things are and not wanting to try to make them better. A self-satisfaction, especially when accompanied by unawareness of actual dangers or deficiencies. If we ever reach a point of self-satisfaction in our spiritual walk, we better be looking for that big flashing red danger sign. Because it's in that moment of complacency that we are in our greatest danger of falling. We've got to press on. Paul reminds us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count it not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Pressing on speaks of growing and maturing and moving forward in Christ Jesus. Now this third tactic is, I dare say, probably one of the biggest ones. This third one is fear. Second Timothy 1 and 7 says, For God hath not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. The spirit of fear will spiritually paralyze a child of God. It will completely keep you from pursuing God's will for your life. Fear has gripped our world, our churches, our schools, our families. It's robbed relationships and fellowships and one of the enemy's favorite tools to keep us from going forward. As soon as we make a decision to step out in faith, the enemy's going to try to bring fear to stop you. He'll put negative thoughts and doubts in your mind and, you know, what if I fail? What if I don't have what it takes? What are other people going to think? You just keep these thoughts just rolling through your mind. And I, I, I analyze things too much. I'm, I'm extremely detailed. My wife sitting back there doing, and sometimes to a fault, but, So many times I am my own worst enemy.
he'll do his best to to use fear to try and convince you to fall back and just stay where you are, not moving forward. Fear is nothing more than the absence of faith. So don't allow fear to hold you back. Instead, you need to take a step of faith knowing that God is on your side. He is for you. He is with you, leading and guiding you in a victorious life. I want to refer back to our text. I just have a little bit of time left. And I want to hit on verse number four. For the Lord your God is he that goeth with you to fight for you against your enemies to save you. And I want to skip down to verse eight. And the reason why I want to is because in, in, in those other verses, it's explaining to you different excuses that the Israelites had at that time of why they didn't have to go to battle, such as that. But, but number eight, I want you to, to really understand it. It says, and officers shall speak further unto the people, and they shall say, What man is there that is fearful and faint-hearted? Let him go and return into his house, lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. They literally were excused from battle if they were afraid, if they were fearful. And then it doesn't stop there. The reason why is lest his brethren's heart faint as well as his heart. Fear is contagious. It'll start going from the next one to the next one to the next one to the next one. It'll jump all over you. Number four, insecurities. It's kind of a byproduct of fear in my book. There are many factors for insecurities, whether it be a traumatic life event or unstable childhood or critical upbringing, lack of support or guidance or feeling of just not being good enough. I'm probably going to be in trouble for saying this one, but I won't be the first time I've been in trouble. Technology and social media have made it a lot easier for the enemy to do his work. You begin to compare your life to others. I don't have what they have. I don't look like they look. I don't. I'm not going to dwell on it too long. That one was for free. I just throw that one out there. But it'll lead you to insecurity because you feel inferior. Church, there is no child to God that should feel inferior. There is no child to God that should be dealing with insecurity. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Enemy will tell you you ain't good enough, but we're God's workmanship. We are the children of God. You are somebody special. You're loved. And there ought not to be one single person in the church. And I'm just going to say this too. And I don't have much time, so I'm fixing to leave it with whoever comes up next. There ought not to be one single person, not one single saint in the church that gets discouraged. We may not all be called to do 
the same thing, but we are all called to encourage one another. To love one another. Brother, I love you. You're doing a good job. I'm here to support you. If you need me, let me know. We ought to encourage one another continuously. Now that spirit of discouragement, we can get with that brother and that sister and they can help us pray that out. But these are things that no child of God should, should be facing. The fifth thing, and I'm, I'm winding down here pretty quick. He'll wear you out. He can't take you out, so he'll wear you out. Galatians 6 and 9 says, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25, it says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High and shall wear out the saints of the Most High. We don't have a whole lot of time to go into great detail of this, but we need to realize that, that part of the enemy's plan for the end time believers is to try and wear you out. This, this is one thing that Daniel was writing about that would happen at the end times. This, we're in the end times. This is the time to, to persevere. This is the time to realize that you are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. This is the time to, to put your faith and your trust in the Lord. I'm, I'm, I'm trying, what I'm trying to do is to open your eyes to see the different tactics of the enemy that he'll, that he'll use against you in your daily walk so, so you can be able to recognize those things and to be able to fight them so you can live that victorious life that you were intended to live all along. But you've got to be able to recognize those things. And we know that Jesus has already defeated Satan. We, we know this, and we know that he has given us the authority over all the power of the enemy. But here, I'm going to tell you this. Just because he's given you the authority doesn't mean anything happens. You've got to have the authority, number one, which you do have, but then you need to take dominion, and that's two different things. He's given you the authority, but you need to take the dominion and use it for the things of God. And we need to submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee submit yourself to God now I, I, I can't and for the sake of time and some of you thinking praise God he ain't got much time but I could hit on that submit for a little while and part of you would say amen and the rest of you'd say oh my but I'm gonna leave that submit alone for maybe another time but submit yourself to God and the pastor. I'm going to move along. Because I feel some of your spirit. But I'm going to tell you this. I want you to stand with me. We, as Holy Ghost filled, blood-bought children of God. I'm talking about us that is born of the water and of the spirit. I want you to get this and understand this. And I'm going to say it twice, not because I think that you, 
you're ignorant, but I want you to get this. We should not be fighting for victory. We should be fighting from victory. There's a difference. I'm going to say it one more time. We should not be, as children of God, fighting for victory, but from victory. I want you to close your eyes and I want you to raise your hand. Now, I have felt this from the time that I stepped to this platform. And the reason why I want your eyes closed and your hands raised because I don't want nobody looking around. But I have felt this and I have to be obedient to the Holy Ghost. I've got my glasses off. I can't see none of you. But there are some folks in here tonight that do not have that victorious lifestyle because you keep wanting to go back to Egypt. Oh, you're not physically going back to Egypt, but that mindset is no different than the children of Israel. After 430 years of bondage, God's delivered you time and time and time again. But your mind is still going back to Egypt. I rebuke that mindset. In the name of Jesus, God, I bind that spirit of fear. We loose power and love and of a sound mind. I bind that spirit of discouragement. And we loose encouragement over the people of God. You've got to realize that you are out of Egypt. I want you to lay your hands on your mind. Lay your hands on your head. On your own head. And I want you to pray right now and bind against anything. God, we come against anything that could hinder any saint of God in this place. We bind any spirit that could attack and derail and hinder them from what God's purpose and will is for them in their lives, God. And we just pray, God, that there'd be a holy boldness that would come upon them. God, we praise you and we glorify you. And we thank you, Lord. We love you, Lord. 